0: We're gathered together this morning in the presence of God, I trust we're here with anticipation to hear a fresh message from the throne of God. God has a way for his people. God wants to guide his people. God wants to show his people the direction they should take. It's not up to God that we end up right. It's up to us to follow God, and we will end up right. Message this morning is in end time faithfulness. And we're going to be looking into prophecy a little bit. And I want to, it's clearly taught that we can know the season. We can look at the signs, and according to the signs that we can see, we can know whether we're in that season or not. And so, I I don't want to enter into speculation where credibility is lost, and there have been prophecies made numerous times that have not been fulfilled, and and it does a lot of damage to the kingdom of God. Credibility is lost, and and people uh, just uh, feel like, well, if they can't trust in, in what has been predicted then why bother and so the second other extreme of prophecy is where we just can't understand it It might be a reaction to some of the first extreme and so we just don't understand these matters we don't want to look into it and and uh the burden I have this morning is that we would understand what's going on around us and respond accordingly in a godly way. And to the extent that we would understand and be alert to the dangers that we are facing. In 1 Timothy 4 and 1, I'm not going to turn there, but Paul tells Timothy that the Spirit clearly is saying that at the end time there be, shall be some that depart from the faith. And we know that people have departed from the faith. We had the example of Saul we looked at earlier. And this is nothing new, but I, I think that as we look in other scriptures when we think about the end times, it will be a prevailing thing. They say that many shall depart from the faith. And in Second Timothy, uh, chapter three, and verse one, uh, he he says that, and that's the second letter that Paul writing to Timothy. I want you to know, I'm putting my own words, but in the last days, dangerous, perilous times shall come. Now I say this morning, they are here. We are living in perilous times, and if you continue looking at that passage there first Timothy 3 uh, he goes on to explaining why there's a prevailing turning away from God and turning when man turns away from God he turns to himself and he turns to uh, open himself up to to deception from from evil spirits and and from that there's a a brother in Pennsylvania that I appreciate, and and he has done some teaching on on prophecy, but he says that one of God's judgment is just giving people what they want. And people basically are self-destructive. And this morning I went, us to know, because we are, of the Anabaptist persuasion, we could say we We are are holding on to some doctrines that I feel like many have lost or have never practiced that are important. They're vital doctrines. And we will probably look at a few of those as we go along here this morning. But we are not exempt from deception. And just that we could rest in the fact that we are following truth as we understand it can make us susceptible to to deception because we are not as alert as we should be and we have an enemy of our soul he doesn't care how he do it he's out to destroy and his method of destroying is through deceiving people and there's a possibility that we are much more deceived than we have are able to understand this morning and when when Saul was deceived I think he knew it but he didn't that, that's the very obvious thing about deception is if we're deceived, we cannot understand that we're deceived. You know, the this was in the last hours of, of Christ, and he was uh, the, the disciples showed him the temple and the beautiful stones that were there, and Jesus said that not one stone shall be left upon another. And then they asked him specifically about. The, his coming and about the end of the world. And you know what what Christ's first words were when they asked him that. It wasn't, okay, so-and-so, we're going to try to explain so you can figure out. He, what, what was in Christ's heart was, take heed that no man deceive you. And if you look through Matthew 24, the whole way through, that is... The prevailing message that Christ gave his disciples, take heed, be careful, beware, pay attention. So if we're talking about end time prophecy this morning, the end time prophecy is basically and primarily this, that in the end many Many shall be deceived. Christ was not speaking to agnostics, he was not speaking to atheists, he was speaking to his followers when he said those words. There will be many coming, and uh, there will be signs and wonders. The disciples asked, What shall be the sign of thy coming? Well, the sign of his coming this morning is that there is prevailing deception. And Jesus went on to say there, Matthew 24. He said, "Because iniquity, and that word iniquity is anomia, and that has the idea of lawlessness or anarchy or evil will will increase and will multiply, and the result of this that the love of many will wax cold." And just, I think, just in my lifetime, my my short years, there's there's some things that. I tend to, we tend to, because it's so common, we tend to not see the seriousness of the air of it and, and the society around us in, in the alternate lifestyles and in, in, um, in the adultery through so-called uh, annulling marriages and, and starting afresh it's so common we we tend to become more comfortable with it and there as, as evil will prevail and we in in the in the last years I, I've just seen it like snowballing it, talking about society and where they're at in in um, relating to the moral values that God has, has put for humanity. I want to talk a little bit about the Great Tribulation. Maybe we'll open our Bibles in Matthew 24. And there's there's some, some difficult things to work through in Matthew 24 because Jesus is talking about two distinctly different things and yet they blend together almost as one and one is the destruction of Jerusalem which happened in A.D. 70 and uh, some of what he's speaking here and some people have attempted maybe to say he's up to this point he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and from there he switches to the end time but I see the destruction of Jerusalem as a type of does judgment and of the end and so they just kind of blend together and uh, I don't know if any of you, or some of you probably have read some of Josephus' writing, and, and Josephus was a man that was involved in the revolt against Rome, and he was, I think, one of the last men that stood up, and And they had agreed to um, not surrender, and, and he didn't keep his agreement. He surrendered to the Romans and then became, uh, the, what's the word, chronicler, or the one that... Uh, recorded the, the events and so he recorded the events of, of the, uh, the fall of Jerusalem and, and how, how there was just anarchy against the Roman government and, and how there was chaos inside the city and basically the, the, the evil was so strong inside the city that they for the most part were self destructive the, the Jewish people there And people that wanted to surrender and and yield to the Romans, there's others that were doing all they could to keep their own people from surrendering. And these people were starving inside the city before the city fell. And so I just say that to say that there is a a type there. And and the Great Tribulation could be, uh, we look at how that was. And yet we know if we study Matthew 24, the great tribulation is talking about something that takes place right before the end. Uh, maybe I'll, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. In, in verse uh, 21, And then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no nor shall ever be. And, and that could be attributed to um, the fall of Jerusalem. But in verse 22, it says, "And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened." Now, in plain English, Jesus is telling us that things will become that bad that there's absolutely no way any of us could stand up and be faithful, except that God in His mercies. Cuts things short before uh, before that happens, and uh, we can look at persecution. And just this week, I was reading a little bit about persecution back in communist time in Romania and some of the awful torturing that took place for the faithful people. And it could well mean that, but it doesn't. The Great Tribulation doesn't mean the same for everybody and one thing that I believe is a bigger part of the great tribulation is a tremendous pressure to compromise where it will become almost impossible to stay alive without compromising and I say that carefully because I I know I believe in the imminent return of Christ and we can't say because this and this hasn't happened and Christ is is not able to come tonight uh, we could right now be in the great tribulation and when it comes I think a lot of people will not be aware or if it is here we cannot or some, a lot of people will not be aware that this is it Okay. now I said that the, the great tribulation has to do with the end time I'm to jump down to verse 29 Says immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and there shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Immediately after the tribulation, we have the sun being darkened and the moon not shining and the stars falling from heaven and the angels coming and gathering elect from the four corners of the earth. And there's all kinds of pre and post and, and the, the scripture is very clear how, how it will be. Immediately after the great tribulation, the end will come. And I know there's a thousand year reign and, and, and the people that are trying to figure that out. And I'm here this morning to say I do not understand exactly where the, all that is. And if there is, if there is a real literal interpretation of the thousand year reign, only those that are beheaded for Christ will reign with Christ in the thousand years because that's what the scripture says. And so, as I say, maybe there's people here that have it figured out better than I do. Uh, I just want to be prepared for when he comes. And I I want to understand prophecy the best as I can. But I don't want to enter into speculation where I could be wrong. So it's in God's mercy that he will shorten those days, as as Christ clearly said there in Matthew 24. And we could be in that time and not not realize it. We have, I want to, in reference to the Great Tribulation, turn just a little bit to, to Revelation 13, look at a few verses there. I think I'll jump in at uh, let's see where I want to jump in at here. <clears throat> Verse seven. Revelation thirteen, seven. And it was given unto him, talking about the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So what we see here is the beast, which I believe is an earthly ruler. And this earthly ruler has... Power or authority that's given to him over all kindred, tongue, and nation. One world government, in other words. And uh, there, there is maybe more one world government now than we realize, and I'm not going to get into that very deep. But it says that power is given to overcome the saints. And what all that means, I don't know. But I I think it's in connection with where it says that if those days weren't shortened, there's no one that could remain faithful. And uh, these are sobering things this morning. It's a sobering topic. And I I had another one that I would have just loved to preach this morning, but uh, here we are. One thing for sure, that we must stay firm on our stand of non-resistance. As evil gets worse, a temptation to resist evil becomes stronger. And I think, you know, with what's going on in Haiti right now, you know, you could get thoughts of there might be a way to just get in there and overpower the wickedness. But we know that God's way is always right. It says those that kill with the sword will be killed with the sword. And here is the patience of the saints. We do not go that way. And I see, and we'll get to that in a little bit, as as I see apostasy in Anabaptist circles, I see people getting very involved, maybe not directly, but indirectly, emotionally, whatever, involved with government. And you cannot get involved with government and be non-resistant. They're two different kingdoms. And one has its God-ordained authority and the other does too. And we choose which kingdom we're going to be serving. And you cannot serve both. The the beast is, is the culmination of the kingdoms of this world as I see it. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Seems like in the Thessalonian church, the Thessalonian church is an amazing church. The choices they made, how they turned from idolatry to God. And if I understand history, that church was still faithful when the Anabaptist movement started. They remained faithful for like 1,500 years. And from there, I don't know what happened, where, where those people are at today. But it's an amazing story about the, the Thessalonican church. And it's interesting that Paul, I think, maybe spent about two weeks there and then he turned it over to the local people. Amazing story. But uh, that's not... There was, as we look at the first letter he wrote to Thessalonians, there was some concern about uh, the people that had died and what's going to happen, and Paul was giving some instructions there. And here again in the the second letter, he says, verse 1 of chapter 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. That word falling away in the originals apostilla, which is where where we get the word apostasy, a turning away, a, a, a deliberate choosing to go against the way of God. And here again we see that the clearest of the clearest of the end time prophecy is that there is a great falling away, which means people that were falling no longer are. And so that is the burden of the message this morning. And we have this man of sin and, and it he says that he, this, this man of sin opposes and exalts himself above all that are called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And there's somebody that maybe can say for sure but I can't but it seems like it coincides with what we read about the beast there in, in Revelation 13. So there's this man that is standing in the place of God. Man of sin, this 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 ruler, and there's times in history, different times when people said this has to be the man, and and then he died, and and we're still not in the end. And so I'm not here to say that the man, this man or this beast or whatever, this uh, those those horns that are are described there in, in Revelation 13, simply I think. Uh, describing power, uh, horns are, are symbolic of power, and, and of course uh, uh, the, the thrones or the crowns that they had also. Someone that is is in in authority. If we move on down in Second Thessalonians later on, in verse eight. It says. And then shall the wicked be revealed and the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy in the brightness of his coming. This wickedness is this ruler that will be in power when Christ comes and Christ will come personal and destroy. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan and in all power and signs and lying and wonder with all... And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God has send them strong delusion, that they should not believe, that they should believe a lie. And and this can raise a lot of questions. Does God delude? Does God deceive people? And as I know, our Father in heaven, He's not in a deceiving business. So, so what? how do we interpret this strong delusion that will be sent? I, I'd like to present it this way, and if someone sees it different, that's fine, and I'm open to hear it. Let's suppose we have this big dam, and there is tremendous water behind it, and this dam is, is holding back this water. But if, if something happens, there's a fissure, there's a crack, there's something in that dam, we know that it's going to be a rush and it's going to take anything and everything in its path there is forces of evil and, and they're there and they're they're wanting to and there is restraining power there's something that's keeping them back but when that something is taken away then then those forces will come and just just prevail that that's that's a strong delusion that I understand and that's part of, of the, the great um, Great Tribulation. And again, if people choose to turn away from God and choose to follow their own ways and choose to follow the ways of devils, then that's what they're going to get. And we have been in places where, where evil had prevailed for centuries. So we lived in Guatemala in a town and it was just full of witchcraft and, and idolatry and murder and and just unrest and and, and fear that was just, just rolling people's lives and, and you could feel it sometimes. Why was it so strong? Because the, the devil was being served so much all around us and yet God's power was with us and he kept us in an amazing way. You think of just in, in the 12 years I lived in that particular town, how many people were murdered. And and how we as a family uh, were preserved from from uh, much of any trauma in that time, and it's just the power of God that was with us. I mean, we we were defenseless in a sense as far as as having any physical way of protecting ourselves in that evil environment, and yet we were protected. But People are worshipping wrong and evil forces around us and and as this happens that evil will prevail and and the powers will strengthen and we need to strengthen ourselves along with that or or we, we can be overcome. There's a war going on. Moving along here, let's turn to Daniel chapter 12. There's a, a lot of prophecy in the latter part of Daniel, some very interesting prophecy, and, and some of it to me is is not clear. Uh, one thing is I looked into prophecy a little bit. Oftentimes there's prophecy that's given that's uh, a message that is prevalent or that is uh, for the time when the prophet's living. And oftentimes... There's a prophecy that comes in, along with that, centered around the the coming of Christ when he first came, the advent of Christ to to earth. And along with that, you have the end. Uh, If you read, like, Micah chapter 4, you'll see that. Uh, I think the message was for the people that Micah was addressing to. But it also mentions the coming of John the Baptist, the forerunner, and and it also mentions the great and terrible day of the Lord. So you see the three things, the the, the prophecy uh, that has a message for the people of the time, And and then so much centered around the time, the coming of Christ, and then, of course, the end time, and then they all play together. But here in Daniel chapter 12, I'm going to read the first four verses here. And at that time shall Michael stand up, The great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, there shall be a time of trouble, the great tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time. In that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So we have the, the book of life coming into play here again. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame, and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now I want to be among those that turn many to righteousness. Praise God. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. And knowledge shall be increased in the time of the end. You go back 150 years and and you want to travel faster. How do you do it? Maybe breed the best horses you can, but that's about as far as you're going to get before locomotives, before the internal combustion engine. And now you can get into a space shuttle and and how many times can you orbit the earth in, in a day's time? just amazing what has happened in our lifetime of people what has changed and the increase of knowledge if I am correct that the year 2007 many of us were born before that was when the first iPhone came out and that, that development of technology has, has already changed tremendously what is happening in this world and I trust some of you are aware of that. Maybe some of us aren't as aware as we should be. But I think of, of my dad, born in 1924. My father-in-law, born in 1909, I think it was. And, and when he was born, there was no such thing as an automobile. And, and he died not so many years ago. In one lifetime, what, what has changed and you can go 6,000 years, we could speculate what was before the flood, and I don't know, there might have been technology like, as we know it today, but probably not. But 6,000 years, everything remained more or less the same. My, my dad had some of his siblings die from pneumonia. They did not yet have antibiotics to combat it. That just came from the Second World War. Just in a few years things have changed tremendously and it's picking up speed. Some people think thought maybe we got to this point, now it's gonna taper off. No, it's not that way. And here we can enter into some speculation and there's pieces that I don't understand, but a brother told me that I was visiting in Honduras when he was down there, a brother from down there that knows much more about than I do. He said, there have been major revolutions in the world. And, and like the Industrial Revolution, how tremendously it changed. Before that, people did farming mostly. Almost most of the people earned their living. And then it went from that to factories and, and mass production and all that. Tremendous change. But he said there is nothing that has changed and is changed in the world like the technology revolution. And he talked a little bit about, and this was already some years back, about the development of the microchip that can be implanted in the brain to, to alter people's way of, of, of um, thinking. And, for example, I, I don't know much about it, but uh, if you want to have a soldier that doesn't have fear, you can put an implant into his mind where he can fairly just go out. And and I think there is a point where some of this, why I think that the days will be shortened as, as these things come in... T- into being and how that will alter people's ability to, to serve and worship God. These are things that are available but not being used yet much probably because it's not of public interest to, to allow it and that can quickly change. And I already mentioned about one world government. And I, I think of of some some empires in the past. And how did they go about building the empires? They they built a strong army, and an army that no one could stand against, and they just went. And wherever they went, they conquered, and they conquered, and they conquered. Uh, and they never got close to to ruling the whole world because... It's impossible for a man, I think, to do that through through the sword. But now there's a medium, now there's a way where one man can control the whole world and I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Not many years ago I couldn't imagine I've been in some of the more remote places in the world and how you could have one man controlling those people, but now there's cell towers and internet service available in those very, very remote places in the world. And it's not too hard to put some of those pieces together anymore. Back in... uh, it was about 1990, 1991, somewhere near this man by the name of Frank Mencken and he gave a message. I'm not sure if it's alive anymore now. i was at Bria meetings. And interesting. He was at the cutting edge of technology at that point. And I got to sit across the table from him as he was talking about things like what the judgment of God was when they were building the Tower of Babel, with the confusion of language and how it stopped the advancement of what man was doing in revolt against God. He's talking about how that has been removed and how that's going to play into things. And I was sitting across from us, I said, Brother Frank, I said, you, you know a lot more than I do about this. Do you think there's ever going to be a time when you're just going to have to say, I'm going to have to turn away from this completely? He said, I know the time is coming. Yet I don't know what happened to him. Did he turn away from him? Did he remain faithful? I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. The increase of means of communication in mass, and then that in a sense can be good. Uh, you know, maybe minutes after this kidnapping happened, a lot of God's people knew about it. And there can be a positive side to that, but th- there also can be a very, very subtle and, and dangerous. Aspect of when, how that all works. And I have seen just in a few years, and I, I trust that there's, there's people here, they're looking on, and they're observing, they're seeing, and, and as we see um, the advancement of, of technology and we see uh, these um, devices, uh, apparatus, whatever you want to call them, and see how people are changing as they use them. And we see how people are, are changing the values that they had. People are changing the way they communicate. People are changing uh, what is important as far as the usage of time and, and, and um, stewardship of, of what God has given us. And we see how this has been used for for evil and uh, statistics don't say everything but I've, I've read some statistics that, that should make us weep where there has been up close to 50% and this was back some years back already of evangelical church leaders admitting moral failures at, relating to internet. How are these men going to lead other people to moral uprightness if if half of the the leaders are not capable themselves of handling this stuff? And this is stuff that can easily be accessed. And I know not everyone here stands where I do, but if, if I have something that I think that I'm capable of managing it right, But I have a weak brother that says, Brother Levi, he's a man of God, and he uses it, it's okay, so I can too. And and just like that, he can enter into all kinds of terrible stuff. And I think of the responsibility as a parent in a home, and if I allow something that causes my children to stumble, causes them to go wrong, I'm going to stand before God and give answer to it. If I'm a church leader and I know this, it's, it's causing so many people to fall and I'm I I want it because of the conveniences it gives me. How am I going to answer to God for all the people that fell because I didn't say we must put a stop to it? So there is an increase of knowledge. And I was just reading again this morning a little bit about the man that uh, developed the iPhone. It is Steve Jobs, I think. He died from cancer, but we have this apple and it's got a bite out of it. And there's something subtle about that whole thing. But the, the, the lifestyle that the man lived, he was a very ungodly man. And, and they spent millions of dollars developing that thing so it would hook people, would lure them, would catch them. And that was their intent from the start. And we know these things. And I have also thinking about the, the social media and a list of the developers of social media and what they're, they're, these are ungodly people. They're saying we have destroyed what is the moral fiber of society by what we have created. And I didn't hear more about it, but I its heard... A, I saw a news flash at the gas pump about that the, uh, the CEO of, of Facebook stepped down because under fire because because of the the number of teen suicides that are related to to the using of of the social media. So the world is knowing what's going on, and yet the church likes what they can get from it and keeps on using it. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter three. 2 Peter chapter three, as you know, is end-time prophecy. I'm going to break in. I think I'll break in at verse ten down to fourteen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in a holy conversation and Godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless we, accord to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for these such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So we have very clear instructions how we should relate to these things. What manner of persons ought we to be? We know that the earth is going to be dissolved and it's clothes. I want to choose to be diligent, to live a holy life live in peace and to live without spots and if there's spots that are revealed there's ways to deal with them Saul could have done it and he didn't do it David could have done it and he did it 1 Thessalonians 5:21 says prove or examine all things hold fast to what is good Abstain from all appearance of evil. Are there some appearances of evil that we are not willing to abstain from this morning? How many people? I said someone called me and said, "Brother, you're not going to believe this, but it's hard for me to keep my phone time under six hours. What is going on?" I go back to what I said earlier I believe the biggest factor in the great tribulation is pressure to compromise. And if I would have kept reading there in, in Revelation 13 it would have said that the, the, the only those that worship the beast that receive his mark will be able to buy and sell. And I've seen people for very small uh, conveniences that they wanted to have to compromise. And if we're going to, for small convenience, compromise, what are we going to do if we can't buy food? In Hebrews 5, verse 14, I'm not going to read there, but it, it talks about that those that are of maturity, those that eat meat, because they exercise their discernment, they can tell between good and evil. So that's the main thing about this Delusion about this, this deceiving about this, uh, people being drawn away from the truth is the inability to discern whether this is good or not. And if it's not good, then then what are we doing with it? So earlier I had mentioned that if we are to be faithful, we're going to maintain our non-resistance. We're not going to use uh, earthly force to, to combat evil. And the, the second thing I want to present this morning, we must remain a called out people. And in my extended family, I've seen it all over, and it just grieved with it. People are changing their values, and they're changing them fast. Things that were important, a a separate lifestyle that was important not so many years ago is not anymore. And if I have connection to the world through Internet 24-7 and I'm constantly there, what's it going to do? just recently was talking to a brother and talking about end time things and what we perceive might be coming not too far down the road and and the question was well how how do we know i said i believe those that walk close to god and continue walking close to god will know and they will make the right choices We must keep our conscience void of offense, which simply means to me that if there's something that our conscience says, no, no, wait a minute, there's something wrong here, that we pay attention and we don't disregard it because if we do, that uneasiness or whatever will go away and we'll be okay with it. And that happens over and over and over with people. And I'm sure I've been guilty of it already. We must love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Those that do that will remain faithful. And I think of all the great theologians in the in the in the time of the coming of Christ, and they, these men had it figured out, and they, they knew what it's, the Messiah is going to look like, and, and they had they were waiting, they were expecting, and there was a lot of probably a lot of. Uh, Discussion and, and maybe even some controversy how this is all going to be when he comes. And we have a lot of that going on now. There was a man by the name of Simeon and there was a woman by the name of Anna. And they knew. How did they know? Because they walked with the Lord and the Spirit revealed it to them. My dear people, it's not easy to be faithful these days. And it's not going to get any easier. And we have decisions to make on a constant level. And there's, there's things that I think of as a leader, as a leader in my home. There's, there's some things I feel like maybe they have been creeping in to some things that I need to deal with. And we need to have discernment and we need to deal with them as we look into those things. My dear people, I care about you. I care about there's a lot at stake and we we can't but begin to imagine we saw there in Daniel twelve, well some will be resurrected to eternal contempt and to shame and others will be shine as, as the stars of heaven. And the, we we start out this morning, Josiah talked about the two extremes. There, Revelation twenty one. That's what we have before us. And these things are real. And we are responsible. And I, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of, of children here. And I think of the possibility of, if the Lord should not come in another 50 years, how many will be faithful? And it's a good thing to think about. I'll ask for a song.